welcome to the 10 songs podcast which can be found at 10songs.ie where you can get involved with the conversation and we've actually had a uh, few questions written in today for the show which is nice people want to pick andy knightley's brain about mixing live recorded music so anyways our guest today is andy knightley hello from k recording yes k recordings k recording singular I, I set it up many years ago and uh, was uh, so, you know, what's the word, I, I, original in the name that I decided to name. Oh, my last name is Knightley, which begins with a K, and I'll just do K recording. Isn't that fantastic? Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how these things kind of grow on you, though. And, and I look out as well, uh, if you actually Google it, there's very little other things associated with K recording. You know, there's no, like, common word. Right, you know, okay. If you call yourself, I don't know, uh, the World Studios, you're going to be screwed if you or, try and Google it, you know. M audio. Yes. You'd be done. <laughs> but you do K recording, like it's with a little or, it's all the one word. It's all I the one th- word. Yeah, I thought that was really good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I did. I, no, because I, 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 I have a marketing a degree, did I say? <laughs> I always thought it was recording. Recordings. <laughs> um, so, and what's, what's the best place for people to find you online? www.krecording.com. I have my website on there. I also have a Facebook page, um, K Recording Live, um, and I am on Twitter at K Recording. And if you want to be me, I'm trying to think what my own one is, at, K, at A Nightly is uh, my personal, not associated with K Recording. How I long? Have many Facebook things because they always mm. seem to change their uh, settings in terms of, you know, I have a, pers- I have a, a company page. And then now all of a sudden, ten percent of pe- only ten percent of people see that with K- or with with right. Facebook. So I set up a personal page so that more people will will see it. Hopefully, who knows what's happening there? I get I seem to get a lot of joy from uh, uh, Twitter of late, though. Okay. Yeah. I I think it's ten percent for your personal page as well. I don't think that Is goes it? out to everyone. Yeah. Um. And I think what happens is, say, then the 10%, if half of them like or share, then Facebook's algorithm say, oh, this is something that this more people likes might these like. Things. Yeah, and it'll start putting it into more of your followers' yeah. pages. So I, I'm, again, I'm forever putting uh, most recent on my timeline. It's always trying to say, uh, you know, top stories. I said, no, I don't want the top stories that you feel that I should see. I want most recent you know, right, to, to right. keep updated, which is strange. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you can just throw an old boost on there as well and... For two or three quid, oh, yeah. sort of make sure it goes across everyone's. You don't know page. exactly what that's going to do, though. You know, it, it they tell you what it does, right? But you don't know actually what it does, right? They tell you four thousand impressions, mm. but, but what does that really mean? On what? Is I that get closer to the mic? There we go. That's great. Um, that's not like four thousand dollars. No, you know, exactly. That's, yeah, yeah. Well, four thousand meters. Th- those are are units <laughs> I can understand. Um. But okay, so how, how did you get started? What's, what's the, your background? Um, my background, I suppose, um, I was originally in college as a civil engineer. Um, I studied civil engineering, and I thought that was intensely boring. Okay. Um, I, I, just, I just didn't get why certain rocks should Lame be in concrete. Terms. What is civil engineering? Civil engineering, it's like building bridges, and it's like the study of the composition of concrete and surveying, you know, the guys at the poles on the side of the road, and, right. you know, which, you know, it's all very interesting, but I just had no interest in yeah, it, you yeah, know, yeah. in that sense, the, uh, the, 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 the lecturers were incredibly boring. I do find that if, if somebody inspires you, you know, if you have a lecturer or a teacher that inspires you, it makes such a big difference. And maybe I would be a civil engineering, uh, you know, graduate. Had, well, I am a civil engineering graduate, but it, uh, maybe I would continue on in that had I had someone there, you know, right. who, who would inspire me. But I, I uh, took a break after that, um, went off to the States, my sister's over there, and uh, took stock and came back. And I just saw in the Sound Training Centre had a course, and I said, I think I'll, 
I'll do that. That sounds cool. That's 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 all I had. I liked music and I thought the course sounded cool, you know. And it just took off from there. Six months in the course. Uh, come around Christmas, I was doing okay grades wise, and it, something clicked in my brain that I thought, oh, I'm actually a bit good at this. So it just you know went on from there. That's great. Yeah, and they 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 asked me to teach uh, during second year. I went back for second year. And halfway through second year, is like, uh, could you teach? Because we're getting more students and we need another lecturer. And it's like, I haven't even finished my studies there. And I was teaching the practical side of things, which That's is great. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And they, they were, I was lucky enough that they gave me a job for a good few years uh, after I qualified as a, a lecturer. So, uh, or as a sound engineer, so I could, uh, I could build up my equipment as well. So I was teaching four days a week. Um, I had my equipment and then like uh, all throughout the weekend and overnights, I was doing sessions, very little sleep. Um, so yeah, so and then you were able to use their facilities as well for for sessions. Exactly, sort of yeah, oh, yeah, great. yeah, exactly. They, they've 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 some you know great facilities down there, especially for uh, somebody who's just learning as well. You know, they have everything from um, uh, you know the, the the small studio Electra, uh, which you know, not that they want things to break, but if you, it's not the end of the world if something breaks in there. Uh, to to Apollo and Sun, which is you know the, the the posher studios, you know, which is brilliant learning and lots of uh, people coming and going. Actually, on the way in here tonight, I met uh, Pat Dunn um, and John Hanley. John Hanley's the, uh, the 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 manager of Sun, and Pat Dunn is producer extraordinaire. He's done lots of stuff, and we were chatting years ago uh, when I was a student. I was his assistant, and we were doing a session with Tim Wheeler of Ash. Do you know? Oh Ash? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tim was the producer of a session of a mate of his called Boyd, and yeah, we were just reminiscing. That, that's something that you just you just don't get, you know, uh, in a lot of other places where you just happen to sit in in a session. And you know, when I was doing the course fifteen years ago, Tim Wheeler, you know, was certainly at a crest of a wave. Uh, no, it is great, and it's kind of I'd say very unique Dublin as well because it is such a small little village that right in Temple Bar. Yeah, yeah, you just you walk out your door, you're going to run across someone, and I find that even with the studios around the corner. Yeah, that half the business that comes in is just for me standing out in front of the street, yeah, you know, yeah. ma- making a phone call and someone will walk by and go, Oh, Hey, and they go, you know, I've been thinking about getting this mixed or, yeah. y- you know, it's real, real networking and real sort of villagey like that. Exactly. And I'd say it's more so this side of the city as well, because only, although Temple Bar is just over there, just, yeah, I, I was based in a, um, uh, an office here with fan footage. I don't know if you know those. Yeah. Guys. Just around the corner. They, there. they were around there. Yeah. They've, they've gone now, but, uh, I was there for a couple of months, uh, just a couple of days a week. They, they gave me a space and, um, just, yeah, you just, compared to Temple Bar, you just bump into everybody around here, yeah. which is crazy, you know? That's great. Well, I think, uh, just in my area anyways, there's, uh, kind of the Sweeney's crowd and then the yeah, Mercantile yeah, yeah. and then you're kind of what workman's and, uh, Grand Social on one side, Village and Whelan's on the other side, and it all yeah. kind of just feels like the musical epicenter. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, okay, so you kind of put the head down, you were making a few quid and, and sort of amassing your own yeah, collection yeah, of and equipment. Yeah, collection of equipment, and, and I found that uh, I was doing lots of studio work, and I just found a niche of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain as to who, under what circumstances. Juliet Turner, I um, don't know if you remember Juliet Turner, she's a... Um, Northern Ireland singer-songwriter, um, and she was fantastic, again, about 15 years ago. Um, and I was doing a lot of work uh, in STC at the time, and I had built up all the gear. And uh, a guy called um, Wayne Sheehy was her drummer uh, at the time, and he we mixed in the same circles, and he said, um, we want to record some demos of the live gig down in the factory on Barrow Street. 
Okay. And could you come along? And I was like, okay, yeah. So I set up um, my live gig around their rehearsal. Uh, or my, my, my life set up around the rehearsal and uh, they did that I thought it was fantastic and uh, she went on to record like five or six shows uh, all around the country with me um, which was fantastic as well and uh, it ended up um, in the spirit store in Dundalk where she spent three nights uh, playing the same gig three, uh, all three nights for a live album which eventually became a live album Okay, you know, which is uh, great. I'm trying to think who mixed that because I, I, I only record. Well, only I, I recorded it at the time, but I'm trying to think who who mixed it. I, I can't remember. Oh, it was da- I think it was Dave Odlum. Went okay. land a minute there, but it was. I think yeah, I was pretty sure it was Dave Odlum. And it's it's really an exciting way to record, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, I, I think if you're in a rehearsal situation, you've a bit of flexibility and a leeway. But when you're in the live situation. It's like on your mark, set, go. Yeah. Are you ready? Exactly. You better be. Yeah, because yeah. we're starting. You got to have everything prepped before you go in. And uh, once you're in there, I mean, if I have a boring day, brilliant, you know, because yeah, I know yeah. I've done all the work beforehand, you know, and it's just just making sure all the connections are uh, right going in, uh, you know. Um, but what I really like about it is compared to the being in the studio is that I, I don't have to spend three hours to get a kick drum sound, you know, in a live gig. Because no, you do that when you're mixing. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, yeah. But uh, when you're in a live situation, and of course, when you're in a live situation, um, the ultimate, um, you know, person who's dealing with the sound is the front of house live engineer, you know, because it's their gig. Absolutely. So so what you're, what, what I'm effectively doing is taking a split off that live gig. Um, and making sure all my levels are right, and I w- if if I do find something that is is off, I'll go and tell them. You know, um, I, you, you might find that uh, in the in the height of a gig, uh, something goes wrong. That maybe because they're concentrating on the whole picture, and I'm able to zoom in solo things. You yeah. know, uh, much easier because I'm in a different room with headphones. Um, so uh, th- that tends to help as well. But uh, yeah, it's just the immediacy. immediacy of the whole live situation, which is fantastic. Yeah, know? and the energy of the band, and yeah. if there's a great feedback from the crowd, then the band and the crowd start feeding off each other. Exactly. You see all your levels start jumping, yeah, and everyone's yeah. playing louder and jumping around. And, and being the recording engineer as well, you don't actually have to deal with the crowd as well, which is fantastic. Right, you have your own little box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Turn the bass down on your gig. And do you find that frequently you have a lot of microphones on the stage that maybe the front of house guy wouldn't even be using? Um, it depends on the venue. Um, if it's the likes of, if I'm in Whelan's, for instance, and um, it's a, maybe maybe Whelan's is a bit on the cusp of being, you know, big enough. But some venues that they wouldn't bother micing the cymbals, for instance. Right. You know that uh, the the room is loud enough for the cymbals. So obviously, if you go into recording, there's no physical microphone on the cymbals, so nothing will come through. So you got to put something up there. So so I might spot things every now and then. Yeah, and if. I don't know, for instance, um, an acoustic guitar where the DI mightn't sound fantastic. I'll throw a, up a, a condenser mic on the acoustic guitar, but then you might run into problems with trying to keep that microphone in place. Right. You know, or with if the, the acoustic. guitarist is sitting in front of the drummer. Yeah, sudden, exactly, yeah. You've, um, got a, you've got a seventh drum mic yeah, in I, front of the acoustic guitar. I, d- I did Glenn Hansard in the uh, the Ivy Gardens last year, and he had a lovely Neumann K184 on his uh, vocal microphone stand for his acoustic guitar, but it was he was all over the place. Right, right. You know, he was dancing and jumping all over the place on the guitar. So, uh, you know, was, I, I kept it up so that when he came up really close for the close songs, you know, it sounded fantastic. And then when he went away, you couldn't use it, you know, because it was just... it 
distance itself away and it was just spill, basically. And I'm assuming there was DI as well. Oh yeah, yeah, so, of course, yeah, okay. yeah, and he has a pretty good DI, you know. So, yeah. but it's just the, the 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 Neumann gave that little bit of air and sparkle, you know. To that sounds pretty wanky, sparkle. Yeah, sparkle. air. air I thought it was nice. <laughs> Oh, Sorry. The gardens, I'm sure it was fairly sparkly. You it was fairly sparkly. Like a really it was a fantastic nice gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you uh, if you get a chance uh, to see Miles O'Reilly did the video, which I did the audio for, and uh, he just that was it was the summer before last, and it was just the glorious summer that we had. And if you want to remember what an amazing summer you have, watch that video because you, you're immediately going back and it's like, oh, that was an amazing summer, wasn't it? Because he just totally got it. You know, three songs and a bit of footage around the gig, and it was like he just totally got the vibe. Yeah, really, really talented guy. Yeah, he's amazing. He's, he's actually, actually the reason I got into doing live recording oh, really? as well. Yeah, or sort of roundabouts. Yeah, um, and we did a, a violinist named Vladimir um, busking out in front of Tower Records. Okay, and um, wanted to do. We had full band, full drum kit, piano, and yeah. a few other double bass and a few other strings. So we just ran a cable into Tower and plugged everything in. And <laughs> and if you want to. Remember what a really rainy Saturday is like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, pop that up on the site as well. See, <laughs> see an engineer frantic about the the state of his microphones in the rain. That's I just had one. the opportunity to forget what a rainy Saturday is like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're primarily doing live stuff now. Yeah, um, yeah. I I my day to day would be um, I suppose up until last year, or sorry, up until uh, the summer, I was teaching. Uh, part time in in the stu- in the same training center, um, and I sort of I sort of decided to concentrate on you know sound engineering things. You know, I was always a sound engineer. I always did. I did my two days a week in in sound training center, and all the other days I was doing live, whether it's mixing or or, or doing the actual recording itself. Doing some front of house work as well. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And um, and you know that sort of uh, that sort of thing. Whereas whereas now I'm kind of. It's mainly live. Um, I'm very lucky that, you know, as we were saying earlier, I, I, I seem to have found myself in a niche. Um, that, that whole Juliet Turner thing led to uh, a series of live gigs, which I've been doing for 15 years, well, 10 years now. And um, yeah, so I, I just have these um, gigs. I'll have a few gigs every month and I'll have to mix them and they'll be used for... Um, video they'll be used for uh, mp3 release you know yeah. the band obviously have a reason for you know what to do it um the uh, fan footage as well is another thing i was with the riptide movement over the weekend in vicar street okay um and fan footage got everybody to record their new single uh you and i uh, so that was that'd be interesting confetti cannons and everything you know going for that so we have to mix that tomorrow um so yeah so just doing bits and pieces and uh some corporate things as well you know recordings and being being in ireland is funny um i've been with a a few recording and broadcast crews over in the uk and uh the uk is a massive market you know with a lot of independent broadcasters not just like if you have your bbc like we have rte over here and it's all fairly in-house you know yeah uh, yeah which is fair enough because uh you know rte is a um in the grand scheme of things, it's a it's a small enough organisation, but they uh, they they have engineers who go out, you know, if something needs to be recorded, um, and uh, whereas in the UK you have BBC, which is this big behemoth, you know, if they if they need something recorded, they send their own crew out, but if the likes of uh, 
any of the cable channels, ITV, something like that, need something recorded, MTV, they would use one of the independent uh, people. And um, so there's a lot more work over there for, uh, for, for broadcast, for live gig recording, because there's a lot more reason to put it up on TV and much more people over there. Whereas over here, it's obviously quite limited. You know? uh, more driven by the bands themselves. Exactly, and, and yeah, the, uh, yeah. The producers of the content. Exactly, too. yeah. Find their own markets. I'd say about, you know, maybe 75% of the, the gigs that I do would be more for the bands themselves than even labels or, you know, uh, TV or anything like that, you know. Yeah. It's all the Glenn Hansard stuff. That, that was the band, you know, with Miles videoing it. But I think as well, um, you throw up your microphones, you get your splits out. Yeah. A few DSLRs roaming around, and mm-hmm. you can really come up with an amazing... Mm. amazing and final result yeah and uh, that's actually um the interview that we're having right now is part of a, a series where um we sat down with uh, cameramen and and bands and we were kind of talking through the whole live recording process mm. and then this is going to eventually end up as a, just a one song video uh, actually one song from three different bands okay um but i think it's it's interesting as well in, in a live recording scenario um it's great for demos for bands as well. You know, if, if they're going in for a studio album, you can do it in a couple hours. Hmm. It doesn't have to cost you an arm and, arm and a leg. Hmm. You can mix it to sort of any degree of quality you want. So uh, say if a band's doing a video, they might do one song and they might pay for a proper mix hmm. and do 11 more songs and say, you know, give me a 10-minute rough mix and just run it across the, the rest of them. Hmm. And now they've got all their demos for their upcoming album. Um, they can also, I think it's it's great uh, sort of social media capital. So if you've done a demo session, as opposed to, okay, if you put one album out, you can ride that for so long. And if it gets popular, then great, it might take you, you know, a good way. But if, if not, you can have these demo or these live recording sessions. You can maybe one every two weeks, one every three weeks, and keep your audience engaged. And, mm. and I think if it is, you know, couched as this is a live recording, it gives a chance for feedback as well. What do you think? You know, do you mm. like the song? And then you can get people to start talking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the, on the the the, the you know the the elite side of things, uh, the likes of the bands like you two uh, would record every single gig. They 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 won't release it, you know. But the the reason why they record it is they want to hear it afterwards, and they want to critique themselves. Absolutely. And when they were here for the 360 tour the last time i was recording well i, I was recording i was supervising the record of their guy recording uh, the Repu- republic of loose the republic of loose uh, supported okay. them and um uh yeah so he, he he basically recorded them with a crazy amount of ambient microphones they had some like 50 ambient microphones really uh, you know it was 360 okay you know, so and they said well, yeah we'll give you guys eight that'll be enough and it's like yeah that'll probably be enough yeah <laughs> Um, One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Um, I said, we won't give you the ones that are pointing to the upper tier of the stand because we've only just opened the gates and there won't be anybody up there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, they uh, they would record um, like full multi-track. Of their, it's not like they would just record the stereo outs of their, uh, their gig. They'll, they'll record a full professional broadcast quality recording of every single gig so they can listen and critique themselves after every single gig, you know, and find out, okay, what can I do better? And so if they can do it you know why can't every band do it? like that was i forget how many years ago that was, was what three or four years ago since it's probably it's probably eight years ago <laughs> i don't know I I'm, like, I'm so bad at that as well i would have said about three or four as well but yeah it could be eight yeah since uh since they played here um 
trying to think. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, my, my memory is the uh, Crow Park Residents Association. Yeah, up in arms at that fourth show. And don't, don't. Can we just not? I can't <laughs> talk about that one more time. I'll lose the plot. I think I'll go mad. <laughs> we're not talking about Garth Brooks. What were you talking no, about? We're talking, we're about, talking you about you too. Did that happen then as well? Yeah, yeah it did. Yeah, and, and they blocked. Bono. They blocked in all their vans, and they weren't able to. Bono had to go to uh, each and every house on the row and actually talk to people. Before the gig, he actually went into. Are a few you making houses. up no? this story? No. When was this? Maybe it was a that last time. Yeah. Um, it might have been, or maybe I just was not up to date <laughs> with my current affairs at the time. I can't make out if these are having me on or not. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> All my stories end up with the Crow Parks Residents Association <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Chairperson <laughs> Peter Spangster. <laughs> do you have a handball alley by any chance? I, uh, <laughs> Indeed, I do. <laughs> um, uh, but I was uh, the uh, they recorded like that was okay. Let's say four or five years ago. I, d- I have no idea when that was. Um, but they recorded that at the time, um, and they had a big rig, they were full on broadcast quality. Now you can get a Behringer um, X thirty two live desk, um, which the Workmen's Club use, and I know a few engineers who are touring with at the moment. Um, Hermitage Green are touring one. Um, Nathan Carter is touring one, um, and. Uh, it takes a USB stick in the back. And just prints your multi-tracks and for you. And just prints your multi-tracks. Wow. So, you know, it's it's so easy. Jeez, let's cut you that know? out. We'll both be able to work. Um, <laughs> yes and no, because uh, I think it's 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 great because um, the likes of the... I've, I've been to the work the likes of the Workman's Club twice, maybe three times. And, uh, you know, the reason why I would go... I would be brought into the Workman's Club is because they want a full professional record with a guy there who knows what he's doing and, and not that it's just an aside that the live engineer is doing. Right, you know, just pop in, in that, that in, way. don't think about it. And well, yeah, and, and, and not only that, you'll find that um, if you do record off the live desks, you are um, you're at the will of the engineer, you know, the live engineer. So if all of a sudden they haven't gained something, or if something's too far gained and it's distorting f- going through the PA, well, when they whip it down, that affects you as well. Right. It's not right. to say I've never done it. I do it. I do it quite a lot. You know, where I take straight off the the, the live desk because it's a very handy thing to do. Well, it should, I guess. Is is the gain stage the only stage before the output? Yeah. To yeah the, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you're still at you at can that choose one mercy. Yeah, you can choose where there's they say pick off points. Where are the pick off points you take your recording from. So if you want to keep all the EQs, you know you can record it straight after the EQs or take it straight after that, the preamp. That is the bonus of splitting before the desk, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. Then, then you're 100 percent on your. Yeah, own. you're just you're just totally on your own. You know, uh, which is uh, fantastic. Um, and I'd like the likes of the most of the gigs that if I'm going into do a fairly high profile gig. Um, I did the Kings of Leon in Slane again three years ago, 2012, two years ago, maybe. I don't know. No head for dates whatsoever. We're going to have to put a timeline together. I know, this. I have to get a timeline. Um, <laughs> for myself, also, yeah. They're all just top trending <laughs> posts. There's no reason anymore. I moved house this week, so my, my head is completely gone, especially with dates, because I, I have these big tubs full of DVD ors, which is all my backups, and they have dates on it. I said, oh, that's when I did that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but with the likes of that, I mean, that, a band that size are completely capable, and they do multi-track record every single gig that they do, like the U2 people do. The reason why I was there is because MTV wanted to do it. MTV wanted to record the gig. Okay. And if MTV go in and say to the band, uh, will you just give us your multi? 
um, the band will probably say, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then they'll find that maybe they didn't like the gig or maybe they didn't like someone in MTV and then all of a sudden it's their multi. They own it. So right, you can't right. get it. Whereas if the, uh, the, the the production company pay for uh, an engineer to go in and multi-track it themselves, they, they know they have it then. It right. still has to go for approval for the band to get ultimately get broadcast, but you know it takes a hell of a lot of stress out. It's kind of like that possession really? is nine tenths of the law, yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's just it just makes it a lot easier, you yeah. know, because you have it in your hand. Oh, yeah. can we get it? No, we don't need to ask. We yeah. have it. Yeah, exactly. now we just have to ask if we can use it. Yeah, that's um, interesting that it needs approval, though. I wouldn't have thought that. You know, if it's if they've been paid to perform and then it's uh, like. Obviously, you would have permission to be recording it. That once it's done, it's done. I didn't think that there'd be much of a say of being like, actually, no, we don't want that to go out. No, every band has to have a, some sort of approval. If you go into any festivals in the UK where they're broadcast nearly live, like if you go to Glastonbury, uh, well, I, I'm, I know more the independent crews that work in the likes of Tea in the Park or you know the, those, those other gigs. Um, once the band finishes, there is a facility there in the trucks to go in on a couch and listen to what they just did, you know, so to approve it. Now, nine out of 10 bands don't bother their whole, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, they don't want to do that. You know, they just want to get home or go and have a few drinks. But, uh, you know, if a band really are worried that maybe their performance wasn't that great, then they'll go, listen, I'll just go into the truck. I want to see if this is okay so we can put it out, you know? Oh. Yeah. yeah I'm sure that there's all sorts of different contractual arrangements, you know, like if yeah. it's, a, if it's a festival, if BBC's there, it's not BBC putting on the show. Yeah. It's BBC being allowed to come in to something that's organized by yeah. two separate groups. Yeah. So whereas if BBC said, we're putting on a show that we're going to broadcast, they probably wouldn't allow that contract provision. And, and like it, everything else as well, with uh, it depends on what, what bands are performing and what way, what sway they would have with the, uh, the, the broadcasters. Like when U2 did Glastonbury, uh, they were able to bring in all their own people to, uh, to broadcast it. They, they brought in a guy, as far as I know, they brought in their own guy to broadcast it which is kind of unheard of when it comes to the BBC. The BBC used their own guys. Yeah. Foo Fighters did a show in Glastonbury, was it last year or the year before? I can't remember, but uh, again, I can't remember. Um, Dave Grohl name-checked the BBC engineer who live who did the live broadcast, and they flicked the camera you know, to the guy because it was his last night or something like that. And it's like, I want to say this, yeah, well done to this guy. He's done a couple of gigs for us before, and he's fantastic, and Aww. gave a wave to the camera and stuff, you know. Uh, great, great. So even like the band like Foo Fighters, like, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, we'll use the guy who's who's there, you know. Um, <clears throat> but when you're mixing in circles of, uh, of of that level, there are engineers of a certain level who also mix in that circles who always do the same gig. There's a... Um, a guy who's a legend in the UK called Tim Summerhays and he has you know if you go to a festival gig and the band are worried about who's doing the, the broadcast is oh Tim Summerhays is on it and they're like okay yeah fine you know that's just he knows I think he used to do studio albums for Status Quo he's, he's getting on a bit now but he's, okay. he's got this big white hair and he's a funny guy okay so I think we'll move on to portion two of our presentation this evening okay and um, so basically what we've done, we've recorded this song in the Grand Social Club. Mm -hmm. And they, they actually have a, a nice setup in there as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And they have all their uh, direct outs patched into uh, converters. and uh, They have an M7 in there. Yeah. And uh, the great thing about the M7s are that they take the, the sort of the, uh, what are they called, the Y cards, expansion cards. Um, and I think the way they do there is it's ADAT, it's optical. So you can get 32 channels 32 or 16 
you can get a lot of channels. Yeah, we <laughs> I think we've over 24 on this one anyways. Yeah, and they just, you know, it's just, a, a, again, straight after the preamp pickoff points into a, you know, computer that has capabilities for ADA. Yeah, so that's what we have. <coughs> and um, what we're going to do is, I don't think, obviously, we're not going to have a finished mix when we leave tonight. But I think it might be nice just to kind of go track for track. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you can talk about, you know, what you're hearing and what you think you do. I just, I'm using Logic 8 at the moment, which I think is two or three stages removed from... You're using Logic, that's the latest update, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I, no, so I'm a Pro Tools guy, so I don't... Okay, really well, I'll do the hands-on. You'll do, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and you can I'll call, point. You can call out, <laughs> yeah, that, the yellow one, right there. Um, I'll sit and nod. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and then I think we'll just maybe try and spend two, three, four, five minutes on each track and play around with EQ and dynamics and, mm -hmm. and a few other things and talk about a few sort of tips and strategies. Mm -hmm. And and again, I, I think we'll just go through the, the track list and then um, then I'll just mix it, you know, the final volume levels mm -hmm. um, some stage in the future. Mm -hmm. So um, And there's no vocals in this track, is there? There is no vocals. There is... <coughs> a flautist lead. Flautist. Flautist. And flautist. he's frequently doubled by a melodica. Okay. So, interesting. But there's a lot of shouts and screaming into microphones. What's the name of the band again? Mutefish. Mutefish. Um, They're the guys with the middle finger stickers. They are indeed. The very one. Um, rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we've uh, asked people if they wanted to ask any questions um, before this episode. And we had uh, quite a few come in. And Finally, people are joining in the conversation. People are joining our conversation. So um, and so I think, uh, you know, discuss yeah. a few of these questions, and yep. one of them sort of segues into the mix. Yeah. Okay, good call. Okay, so oh here my. is an uh, interesting one. Um, this comes... It's a diuretic as well. I feel like it just got <laughs> a little bit more intense now. You are facing each other with the paper. I think I might like drop in some like quiz show music or something like. Is that is that the next song we're gonna have to write? Some quiz show music. Sorry. So, my Andy, if that is your real name. Yeah, I know. I feel like an interrogation as well. Did, like people, leave, did people leave their names and ages? Like from Rebecca, age thirteen. No, but <laughs> from Wilmslow. <laughs> I was I was kind of tempted to make it up though. Yeah, do you? no, go, yeah. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this question uh, comes from Kieran, age seventeen, in Terranure. Hey, I'm from Terranure. All right, do you know Kieran? I don't know Kieran. No. <laughs> um, I've been there in a while. Yeah, actually, I have no idea where he's from. Um, is his name Kieran though? His name is Kieran though. <laughs> hey. Um, and so, question as for bass, di or mic, and why? Depends on the bass, depends on the situation. Um, uh, let me think. If it was if it was a straightforward, bog-standard bass guitar, clean guitar, I hate saying any instruments are bog-standard because, you know, everybody plays it different, everybody has a different quirk on it. Um, so a electric bass? Well, yeah, obviously electric bass. Who would have an acoustic bass at it? They'd be surprised. Um... I would say uh, y you'd have to mix the two, obviously. Uh, if at all best, I mean, I, I know quite a few bands who would have two DIs and a bass amp. For instance, they well, they'd have a pre and post DI uh, for their effects. Okay. So so you'd have the, the pre DI would obviously be just the, the clean bass itself. Uh, the uh, post DI would be the pedals. And then the amp itself, you know, the mic on the amp itself to get the, <clears throat> the weight of the actual amp 
Um, so if you're doing uh, a big gig, I, I presume I'm taking these questions from a, a live point of view, live recording point of view. L- live recording point of view. Live recording point of view. Um, you know, yeah, I, I would kind of want the two going on. Uh, the only the only reason for not having an actual amp mic'd up, DI is obviously the first thing that comes to mind. You know, if if you can, if if you were forced to choose between the two, you choose the DI because right. it's clean. There's it's no spill. You can do what the hell you want with it afterwards. You know, um, whereas the amp, you know, if the mic isn't chosen right, if it's not on axis, you know, if you, it gets kicked, if, if it gets kicked, something like that, you know, you completely lose your bass sound. Whereas at least you know with DI, you're guaranteed the whole the thing all the way through. Um, but the thing is with 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 a lot of bands you know they have a certain bass sound and the bass sound is coming from the bass amp it's not coming yeah. from the di they're you know? they're tweaking their sound in rehearsal exactly yeah and they're not the listening amp. to the di when they're doing that they're listening to their amp Absolutely. so uh, so yeah the amp is hugely important so uh short answer both if both. you can yeah ideally yeah. and i think once you have both then you take it back to the studio when you have time and you can listen you could to re-amp it, it if it needs to be or yeah. you can say that's crap and throw it away yeah yeah um but I, I think you're right i think you need um the sort of i guess the presence of the di just to really lock everything down get that that clean signal yeah, and yeah. clean could be distorted with delay yeah you know i don't mean yeah. clean as in in clean and then if you have the amp to add a bit of character to yeah that. and you find with that pre and post uh, di um, maybe uh, it could come to a situation where all of a sudden you've got far too much distortion happening and you need that pre-DI to give that uh, presence back to the bass, the weight of the bass, you know, yeah, back the into the low end. end. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay. I bet a lot of times you find with the effects off you got the same signal kind of coming Yeah, three yeah, times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is the bass so loud? Um, okay, thanks, Kieran. And we are going to send him out a baseball hat and a <laughs> snack box for... Uh, <laughs> Snack box, great. Yeah. Salt ten and vinegar. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, we should get some 10 songs baseball caps and mugs. We should. <laughs> I've got a good solution for that. Um, I've been researching, and there's a lot of these places that will do on-demand merchandise. So you just send them in your logo, and then they sort of create the page, your sale page, which you can link onto Facebook and on your... your the De Laurento boys do that. Um, do you know who they use? No, they do that. Oh, that's their... That's two of the guys, that's what they do. Yeah. What's what's their um, site called? I, I can't, don't know. <laughs> I'll look it up. I know they always have uh, great uh, buttons and T-shirts and, and stuff. I won the De Laurentos uh, Fantasy Football League a couple of years ago, uh, and I got a great T-shirt over that. Very good. There you go. And I'm second in their league this year, so they better watch out again. Okay. Although they did promise me a, an album and a CD, or sorry, an album and a uh, T-shirt, and I only got the T-shirt. And they were about a year late in sending it to me. So and so now you still do the album, huh? You still yeah, I'm do still do that album. Yeah, that was about three albums ago. Now at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so basically you could just upload your logo, and they help you out with the page, put it on your website, and when people order, it goes to them, and they make them up one at a time on mm. demand. No they do That's the cool. the billing collection, and they do the shipping, and then they you know they probably make most of the money as well. I'm guessing, but. You know, even just to get a few, that's few T-shirts out. You know, it'd be great to see a few people wearing. That's great for uh, you know some, uh, you know, something on social media that goes viral very quickly. Just like shit, we gotta get T-shirts and stuff yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, well, I think as well. Um, like, how many bands do we know that to to get the the price break you need, you have to buy two hundred and fifty T-shirts, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you sell seventeen of them, yeah. and you end up wearing them until you're yeah. like eighty. <laughs> my last band, I've just bags of merchandise sitting yeah. in my closet. 
Well, I know I know a lot of bands who uh, you know just CDs. You know, they just have like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of CDs. Those are them circle things, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Those, those with those, the little hole. Yeah, in the you, the frisbees. Okay. Things. <laughs> yeah, I, we used to have coasters. Them put our coffee cups on. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can make a bathroom look really funky if you turn <laughs> them backwards and pin them to the wall. It's brilliant. Uh, although vinyl does seem to be making a huge resurgence now, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Um, mm. I still have. Uh, what, what? No, I just think it's it's still going to be too expensive for it to actually come back in any kind of real. It's very much way. a, a high a end type thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, it is a cool, trend. But like, um, it is a trend. It does sound fantastic. Um, I again, I've, I've moved house during the week, so I know all about the weight of vinyl because I have uh, my parents' record collection. My dad, my dad's English, and he's born in London, and he actually was um, an apprentice printer. And he printed the original Beatles sleeves uh, in the 60s. No way. Wow. Yeah, so we have a whole rake of first edition Beatles albums at home. What? And he used to go home. He said he used to go home uh, in the evenings with the new Beatles sleeve, you know, under his arm. And people used to, you know, say, he's got the new Beatles album. <laughs> and uh, there was no vinyl in it. It was just the sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I got, I got a lot of vinyl. Now, I've got the cool vinyl. I've got all the older uh, first edition Beatles and I got a few Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash and things like that but I also have Demis Roussos and uh, uh, Joe Dolan and you know Tijuana type stuff you know Tijuana well, brass band does the Beatles sort of thing well, when I was in San Francisco there's a record store and it's probably still there called Amoeba and it was something like a 20 lane bowling alley that they took over yeah. and so you could tell like the floor was kind of sloped a little bit in one direction <laughs> and they just had Thousands and thousands and thousands in every category, and it was. Did they slope a bowling alley's floor? This one did. I thought it was flat. This one did. That would make sense. Yeah, um, but uh, this floor was sloped. Um, <laughs> it was a really, really weird bowling alley. Yeah, I guess you. Could, Everybody got strikes. You just set your ball down and let it go. Yeah. Um, but uh, they had a huge vinyl room, and it was all you know, one dollar, and just you know, wow. people would trade in. Was able to get a lot of cool, like old, like I just fell in love with this pianist called Oscar Peterson. And you could go in and you could find, um, okay, he's playing and then Herb Ellis is playing guitar. So I go, okay, now I'll go find Her Herb Ellis. So yeah, then I yeah, search yeah. through all the vinyl and I find, and then you could, you know, trace this sort of lineage from player to player. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's a box of records, no record player though. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that might have to change. Yeah, no, I, I, I have, my dad years ago gave me our uh, our Pioneer uh, MIDI Hi-Fi system, you know, so you got the, you know, the racks of Hi-Fi. Um, and I tried to find a uh, cartridge for the, uh, the 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 stylus on the uh, the vinyl, on the record player, and uh, it was quoting me a couple of hundred quid because it was obviously they don't make it anymore. Just a unique. Yeah, yeah. Piece. So so they the, they don't make it anymore. So you have to find uh, something, and uh, like yeah, it was ridiculous money. And I eventually tracked some company down in Texas that uh, makes spurious parts that will fit this. So I got it for like thirty dollars. Oh, great, great. Um, it's broken now, but <laughs> so I have to go back to them again. It won't be too much to fix it though. No, thirty dollars. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, belt drive I think is going in as well. So yeah, well, I'm listening to uh, the Beatles, and I'm not sure whether it's the album or it's the belt drive that's slowing down or speeding up. <laughs> So since we're doing record player stories, um, when I was young, my my folks had that same kind of modular hi-fi yeah. system uh, with a belt drive turntable, and they always say, "This is." I'm dating myself, sort of when Run DMC and LL Cool J and that sort of rap culture yeah. was really coming to the forefront. And they always say, "Don't scratch. You don't do any of that." You know, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. you know I'm 16, 17, listening to all this <laughs> rap. Of course, I have to, you know, see what yeah. it's all about, and then 
all of a sudden there's no traction anymore. <laughs> so I'm screwed. So I have no idea what's going on. And I remember going to a large electronic shop with my folks and they were off looking at something. I'll be back in a minute and going over to the record player section and lifting the top off and sort of deconstructing the record player to figure out. And it was just the rubber band. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It was come off, off the spindle. Yeah, yeah. So then I was able to come home, put it back together. Yeah. Nothing happened. <laughs> I think I was scratching the soundtrack to Grease at the time. So. Of course. Um, Okay, so uh, we have another question from Nick in San Francisco. Ooh, that might be a ten-song super fan. Um, <laughs> don't know. So, anyways, um, a four-piece band with bass, drums, guitar, keyboards, and vocals has six well-rehearsed songs ready to record. If they leave the house at seven thirty, traveling north, <laughs> no. Um, how much studio time will they need to get the basic recording? So, th- so, so that's uh, <laughs> six songs, four-piece band. Six songs, four-piece band. Uh, like, uh, the thing that comes to me first is like, well, what's your budget? You know, it, it's like, you know, how, you much, how much can you spend on it? You know, it's and what do you want to do with it? Yeah, exactly. What's, what's your goal? It was like we were saying earlier, you can go to a gig and play those six songs, and uh, you know, well, six songs would probably take less than a half an hour, and there you go, they're recorded. You know, they need to be mixed, and they mightn't be brilliant performance-wise, but you'll have them. Um, so it's the, really the question of you know, the, obviously the the more, the longer you spend, and because you're spending longer, it's going to cost more. Um, then you know the the better the ultimate product will be because you get to take your time over it. I'm going to assume that what they're really asking is what's the um, cheapest that could be done for. Okay, well. I think like even free. I mean, I'm sure you have a mate that'll do it for free. You know. <laughs> well, even even if you go, I'm not being funny. It's, it's just like that's you know. Even if you go to sort of like a rehearsal situation, yeah, you could probably mic that up in about an hour, hour yeah, and a half, yeah. have it sound checked, and then they could play each of their six songs five times mm-hmm. and get it done in two or three hours. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even in that situation, they could come back and then maybe overdub the vocals or a few harmonies and. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, want, I don't want to belittle their uh, their their question in any way. It's a valid question. It's just that uh, you know, w- with anything, you know, uh, the longer you spend on it, the better the product will be. So you can get it done in the time it takes you to play those songs. It's just that you know, if if you spend a little bit, a lot, a little or a lot more time in it, it's going to sound better. So how, how long is a piece of string? Exactly. And I, I guess twice the distance from the middle to the end. Ah. Oh my god! <laughs> now we know. Amazing. <laughs> um, so I, I think the other end of the spectrum is then you could go um, like you were saying earlier. You could spend three hours getting a kick drum sound. Exactly. Yeah. You could have you know sit everyone down, record guide tracks, and then you could mic up the drum kit by itself in the room to a click track, and you could probably spend easily a day just doing the drums. Yeah, and we're, again, we're we're talking studio world now at the moment for for this, which is obviously what the question is uh, is based around. Um, you know, I've. I've spent, I, I just recently wrapped up an album there, which I think it took us about four years. Now, it wasn't co- constant four years of doing it, you know, but and I actually know it's probably four years since we finished it the last time. It was probably about six or eight years or something like that to do the album. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's how long you're willing to spend on it, you know, yeah. basically. We're, we're going to beat that record with the 10 songs album, I think, <laughs> at the pace we're going. <laughs> yeah, but I, like the, yesterday I was in a studio and we did, an, did like a song in, in a day, you know, whereas this other thing it took us years to do an album, you know. So, you know, again, yeah, how long is a piece of string? Yeah, I think a lot of times those quick sessions produce a lot of magic, they do. though. They absolutely, know? yeah. Well, wasn't it Slacker Yeah. Slackers? <laughs> Slacker Symphony, that whole thing, is that was all done in one day, right? Obviously not the 
the the the analogy was there was a lot of polishing to the turd, but the turd itself was made in a day of sessions, one day. Yeah, right? well, wasn't it? During the pacemakers in the 60s uh, in London uh, came down and uh, they paid for a half an hour in the studio uh, to record one song and they did that in three minutes and they said, okay, well, let's do some more songs and they recorded their first album yeah. in half an hour. So. <laughs> so there you go, Nick, we don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, we've given many different options and scenarios, yeah. which I think all could be useful. To the listener and Nick himself. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Thanks, in Nick. Uh, San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> this Irish is right. from Lucas, who writes to us from Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Abby, do they have people called Lucas in Wyoming? Um, I'm importing Odd. ancient MIDI files into Logic oh. trigger old synths, which I have as well as sample cell two instruments and banks. I'm getting a headache already. Assuming I can get that to work, which I failed to thus far with sample ta tank, which claims to it can import those files no problem. What's the easiest way to get the resulting accumulated logic audio file to be split up into sample size chunks for editing and maneuvering? I have no idea. <laughs> Is that even something I even want to do? If not... What do I want to do? I would say go out for ice cream. I, I stopped listening halfway through that. Uh, <laughs> well, I think uh, maybe I'll take this one. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, obviously um, MIDI back in the day was very hands-on. Absolutely. You know, today you just plug something in and the machines talk to each other. You don't even need a MIDI box. It's yeah. all USB now. So. Yeah, and you don't even need to have any knowledge whatsoever. Where yeah. back in the day you had to assign channels and you had to... Uh, to adjust a lot of different parameters and, and that sort of thing. So I'm assuming he's got, you know, some cool old things. And I would say if you're bringing these in, I, you import your MIDI files, you hook up your old synths, boom, play them, record them. So now you're not relying on these on old MIDI, MIDI yeah, files. Yeah. You can record them as audio bytes and then just kind of cut them into whatever tempo of, of the piece that you're using. You can move them back and forth. Um, but I'd say once you got your MIDI into a current version of Logic, then you just save that and, and you're good to go for a while. So um, you could also, you know, cut those into bits and loop and, and copy and paste or just let the whole file play. Mm -hmm. When anybody ever mentions anything to me about MIDI or, or anything like that, I instantly get a headache. <laughs> I was doing a gig in uh, the, where is it? Uh, it was up in the Millennium Hall in Derry. And it was, I'm trying to think... I remember that summer in Dublin. What's that band? Uh, Bagatelle. Bagatelle. Okay. Sorry, Bagatelle. Very famous uh, band. It was 70s? Early 80s? Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, I was recording a live gig, and um, the keyboard player, uh, who was also the, the main singer, um, you know, they, they weren't 100% sure of the sound he was using at the actual gig, so they, they just wanted me to take a MIDI to a recording record a midi of the actual so not only was i taking the multi-track audio recording but right. i was also taking a midi recording so i had never done this before other than in a studio so yeah I, I brought my little midi usb box and ran it out to the piano and you know it was all fine yeah he was able to put on a really posh piano sample uh, of the plinky plinky piano that they had on the night you know but yeah midi is not a nice word it, it, it can be a headache yeah yeah if you want to add that to nick's question we have uh, 
a trumpet and a MIDI keyboard. How long is that session going to take? Oh. But I think uh, your engineer will be out for a drink. That's how long. Well, I, I think if you're doing a recording session, um, the minute someone says MIDI, you go, okay, overtime. Yeah, you know. Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, the, the the main thing in MIDI is just you know, MIDI is is, is just data. You know, it's the the actual thing itself is, is fine once you get it working. Um, I find with uh, sessions, if I'm in the middle of a session and somebody wants to uh, play a keyboard line, but they don't know what sound they want, and that's a real time sapper. You know, so like, you know, okay, we've done all these, we've got all these great tapes, we've spent a lot of time on this great, uh, you know, band take, um, and we've done, you know, all these vocals, and we've got that all sounding nice, and now we've got, we're, we're really motoring on in the session, you know, we've got all this work done, let's keep this, you know, tempo up, you know, in terms of the, the workflow. Um, and then all of a sudden you find yourself patching through all the presets oh. of the keyboards. How about this one? How about this one? How about this one? And it's just... It, it also guarantees that the band will be present for the mix. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. You can't go, all right, I'll email it to you. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Go, I'll email you 50 different sounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, from my, my point of that would be, I suppose, you know, if you are, if you have an idea of a keyboard sound or a sound that you want to go into your song have a have a play around before you get near a studio you know and, and that's it yeah exactly now i wouldn't be a um i wouldn't be one of those producers who would have their own sort of bank of sounds that they can call up you know i i'm i'm an engineer who goes to a live gig and records a live gig and when I'm in a studio, I can record a band uh, playing a studio with a few ideas in there. My strong point wouldn't necessarily be, um, you know, I've got a great idea for a sound that can go there. Yeah. You know, that that wouldn't be, you know, me, because I don't necessarily come from a musical background. I come from more of an engineering background. More of a technical yeah, kind exactly. of side of it. So that's uh, that's why it gives me a headache, because... Although engineering is a, an art in itself. Of course it is. Yeah, no, definitely. So. Yeah, yeah. Especially, yeah, sound engineering is, yeah. Not the other. Well, the engineering itself is, would be an art as well. Building a bridge yeah. has got to be a bit pretty artful. Pretty nice looking, looking bridges, bridges in sure, town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The architect does the artsy bit. The engineer yeah. scratches his head and says, How am I going to build this? <laughs> there. Um, okay, so here is a two part question, and this is back to Kieran. Mm -hmm. I think we said he was from. Terenure. Terenure. And a girl um, in my home ec class that I really like. <laughs> 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 Sorry, um, sorry. What can I say to get her to bake me a cake? Um, so, um, how do I tell her I'm gluten? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think we'll we'll do one more question, then we'll we'll go make some more coffee, okay. and then we'll get into the the mixing, the yeah, nuts cool. and the bolts. Yeah. And um, I think this segues nicely to that. And I think we did describe uh, this is a song that was recorded by Mutefish in the Grand Social a few weeks ago. And we're going to go track by track. So the question is, first off, when mixing drums, would you start with a rough general mix on the EQ, or would you suggest starting off with a flat EQ? Um, when mixing drums, um, well, kind of when I'm recording drums, I would, you know, in a studio situation, I would do my best so that when it gets to a mixing situation, you're kind of not a million miles away from, from what you're going to mix anyway. If you're in a situation where... Um, yeah, you've you've recorded it flat in the first place, and you've got to do EQ. Um, well, uh, yeah, I would I would balance out the kit first of all before I put do any sort of EQ. So don't put any EQ in it and just balance it out. Just just like the okay. kick volume relative to the snare, rough volumes, relative to the, the rough hats. pans, and yeah, exactly, all okay. all the rough pans, and then then 
next thing I'd start doing would be the uh, just clearing out the muck. You know, so in other words, the overheads, you don't need so much low end in the overhead. So let's just clear out that. Um, if it's a, uh, if you're dealing with digital, which of course all of us are at this stage, um, then I would go into the, all the toms and, you know, edit out all the tom hits, you know, uh, or sorry, edit in all the tom hits, edit out all the uh, the spill. Okay. Because the, the toms resonate out throughout the whole thing. And you'll be amazed at just, uh, you know, like in a live situation, you stick a gate on it. But in a recording situation, you have the time to spend actually, you know, going into the, uh, into the regions and, you know, making a perfect edit on it. Um, and it just it it's tightens up worse than that symbol hit at the end of a tom ring, and you're Whoa. like boom, yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. To, you have to get that, that yeah. cut, and then you're cutting it too short, so the sound goes boom. Yeah, that's like, oh. again, that's dependent on the drummer and how heavy they hit their cymbals, all mm. right. But uh, um, and, and but now I've I've had a, a situation before where the live snare mic actually wasn't recorded, and it was able to pick that all out of the toms. Yeah, there was no problem. Yeah, getting the yeah. snare in there just from the toms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes you have that that things like if you're if you're at a gig and you're limited to the amount of inputs and you just don't mic up the toms and you have the overheads. Well, then you got to bring that low end back into the overheads and try and get some tom action going. Yeah, on. it's a completely different uh, scenario then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, so I think the next question there, and again, as a starting point, would you already patch your toms with a gate which is bypassed? Or wait and see what rumble from the whole kit would give you, so you're not adding any sort of delay from a processor. Is there any other trick you find works well? Um, so if I get you right, you kind of put the whole picture into place, yeah. and and you don't work on it necessarily track by track for, from a starting point. Yeah. You'll start by listening balance it first to yeah. the whole, to the whole kit and and trying to figure out what you think you know you want to accentuate, what you want to take away. Yeah, I'd have a workflow. You know, having done so many gigs that you know. You go into uh, into a certain uh, at, at the the initial part of the mix. You go into a bit of a, an autopilot in that sense. You know that you know what you have to clear up. You know, and for w one of the main things would be the the um, the high pass filters. You know, would be to clear out like the overheads and the hi hats. Um, I would put a high pass. The only things probably I wouldn't put high pass filters on throughout the whole mix would be bass and kick. You know, because. It, yeah, like, you know, even, absolutely. Even if you're just taking away, you know, fifty or yeah, or sixty. Off. Yes, even low down, that's clearing up the mix. It's yeah. clearing up something in the mix, and and even sometimes you find that uh, you know the, the you're getting tons of sub out of the kick, and it's clashing with the sub and the uh, uh, the bass guitar. So we'll then put a high pass filter on the bass guitar and just bring that up, so you can you know let it have let the kick have its space over the the drums. Yeah, you know? there's there's definitely a, a not I wouldn't say a, a rule, but a, a place for the kick and the bass drum. To almost be one instrument, yeah. To where that that you know, or even if you're using the low the kick on the, and bass, the bass drum, uh, the kick in the bass, bass guitar. guitar yeah. Sorry, um, um, and a lot of times I'll I'll take the rumble out of the kick, yeah. And the if the bass is chugging along, then yeah, you do it the other way around, yeah. yeah exactly. When, you, when yeah. you get the pop on the kick, you feel the weight, even though it's just the bass, yeah. And I think that's sort of a dance music trick when you listen to this big boom boom and if you isolate a kick in a dance track it's really just ticky tappy there's yeah. not a whole lot of bottom a whole lot of sub yeah exactly yeah because it's so perfectly in time yeah with you know with the bass that it yeah it, it the bass fills the role of the low end for the kick yeah and, and you just find that uh, you know even before you put the bass guitar in there with all those uh high pass filters in there and and, and editing all the uh the, the spill from the tom tracks it just tightens up the kit so much without brightening anything up or taking mids out or anything like that, you know, all of a sudden your toms are just, or your, your whole kit is just tighter, you know, mm. you can, you can feel, you can feel it, you know, a bit better anyway. 
Okay. Well, let's apply this practically uh-huh. so people can sort of hear it with their, their own ears as we go along with it. And uh, are we good? We'll take a break? Yeah. And uh, again, our guest is Andy Knightley from K Recording. And krecording.com is the website. I'm sure people can find your Facebook and all your stuff through your website there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so great. Um, let's take a break and we'll be back with part two. Yeah.